invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 5. I'm going to read the entire chapter with you. Revelation chapter 5. Beginning to read at verse 1, and hear the word of God with me. And I, the Apostle John then, and I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll written inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. Then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? And no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. So I wept much because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. But one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. And I looked, and behold, and in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures... And in the midst of the elders stood a lamb, as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, and sent out into the earth. Then he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. Now when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, and which are the prayers of the saints." And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood, out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation, and have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them I heard saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. Then the four living creatures said, Amen. And the twenty-four elders fell down and worshipped him who lives forever and ever. And our text for this morning is framed in verse 5 of this chapter. Verse 5, where we read, But one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. May he add his blessing to the hearing, the reading, and the preaching of his word again this morning. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ gathered here in Salem with me this morning. (coughs) Humanly speaking, Spiritually, the earthly future for our culture and for our children, and especially for our churches, appears dismal. 
The Church of Jesus Christ in 2022 lives in a dark world where our religious sensitivity is being assaulted and shaken to its very foundations. Our culture asks us to applaud the great strides being made in the areas of human rights and civil liberties, but the Christian church is deeply troubled by the power and the philosophy of such things as, for instance, the Canadian Human Rights Tribunal and and, and the, the gay rights movement. As Canadian Christians living in this world but not being of this world, we can be so troubled as, as, as we look around us and we see the deterioration of the very fabric of our society and our culture. And we look to our government for guidance and direction, but instead we see our Canadian government determined to deny or even outlaw as many of the norms of Christianity in the shortest period of time possible. Our government <clears throat> is moving at bre- breakneck speed to, to marginalize, if not to marginalize, if not even totally uh, eradicate Christianity out of our land. The Christian shakes his head in disbelief as he sees things of the sacred being abandoned, even outlawed, in exchange for things profane. The Christian looks at the world in which he lives and he sees a complete abandonment of Christian morals and values. He reads in his newspaper that the traditional marriage of a man and a woman is no longer the norm in the land, gay marriage. Common law relationships and common law marriages now make up the majority of the family units in our country. And of the traditional marriages that do exist, the majority will end in divorce. We see desecration of the Lord's Day. We see abortion sanctioned, protected, and defended, uh, and, and, and on demand. And, and we see medical assistance suicide disguised as death with dignity. And I, and I could go on, but you get the picture. Our country as a nation, besides being physically and economically threatened by COVID-19 and its, and its after effects, our country is morally and spiritually bankrupt. We see much the same in the U.S. Currently, we see anarchy in the streets of many communities in the U.S. People people have taken to the streets, claiming their constitutional rights to peacefully protest, but the protests are not peaceful at all. They quickly deteriorate into absolute lawlessness and riots with with the intent to loot, to pillage, to steal, to burn, and to inflict injury upon the innocent. Angry mobs have fired up the crowds to demand the abolition of the police force. Men and women no longer want law and order. They want mob rule. Thugs have taken control and lawlessness rules in the streets and police are almost powerless and certainly apprehensive to try to maintain order. Our world, our world, our world has lost its way. And whether or not it will ever find its way back is not only uncertain, but in my humble opinion, doubtful. And yet, and yet, and yet, and yet, although the onslaught of the Prince of Darkness increases daily, still the Church of Jesus Christ rises to her feet each Lord's Day again and in one form or another confesses, the Prince of Darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him, that word above all earthly powers, no thanks to them abideth. The spirit and the gifts are ours through him who with us sideth. We confess that, and if we really believe that, 
then obviously we as Christians still see some light in this dark world, and rightly so, for indeed there is hope. For according to the word of God, all things as they develop in the world and in the church, all things will develop in accordance with the dictates of God's eternal decree. And despite the apparent triumph of the roaring lion, victory is in fact assured the church through the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, the prince of peace. He has confronted the prince of darkness and he has prevailed on Golgotha. And in his victory, the church, though driven through the refiner's fire and assaulted, the church emerges victorious in spite of the apparent defeat. Under that conviction, the church perseveres, fulfilling her calling in spite of many trials and tribulations, being certain of that final consummation of the marriage feast of the Lamb. For our encouragement... Our text of this morning speaks of these things, and I want to administer God's word. You're using as my theme the message of the victorious Lamb of Judah. We want to discover the purpose of the message. We want to learn of the content of the message, and then we want to see the meaning of the message. People of God, if you know your Bibles a little bit, you will remember that the Apostle John had been banished to the island of Patmos, where he is transported in the spirit into God's very heavens. And, 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 and the, the veil that separates heaven and earth, he's given a vision. He's given a vision. The veil, so to speak, the veil that separates heaven and earth is lifted just a tiny little bit. A corner of that veil is lifted. And, and, and he's given to see things never before seen by mortal men. And already in chapter 4, he tells us that he's given to see the almighty, majestic God in his heavenly palace, seated on his glorious throne, and he describes him as one like jasper and a sardius stone with a rainbow about his throne in appearance like an emerald. He's encompassed by four living beings having eyes front and back around the throne of God. And he sees also 24 elders clothed in white robes having crowns of gold upon their heads. And, and for the purpose of our interpretation of the text this morning, suffice it to say that the four creatures represent all of creation, while the four and 24 elders are representative of the congregation which has been redeemed out of the tribulation. Or if you will, the 24 elders represent the triumphant church of Jesus Christ. And then as chapter 5 opens, we read that John saw that he who sat on the throne held in his right hand a scroll a scroll written on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And, and the important question now is, what is the significance of this book? Well, when interpreting, interpreting in context, here we must conclude that the book is symbolic. This book is symbolic of the living and powerful decree of God with regard to all things that must come to pass. The book is, or the scroll, is the symbol of the decree itself. The scroll in God's hand is a written copy of all that God has planned from before the beginning of the world with regards to his plan of redemption. All of world history, then, 
from creation up to and including that last great day, all of history from creation to the last day of the Lord, all of it is written in that scroll. Nothing, no matter how seemingly insignificant, has been omitted, and nothing in heaven or on earth shall come to pass unless it has been prescribed in this book. If John could have read it, he would have seen that in the year of our Lord 2022, apparently God had sent a virus that would inflict and infect the entire globe and, and would leave churches and even families polarized. John would have seen all of that recorded in that book for all of that, all of God's plan is revealed in that book. But more important for us to know is that the scroll symbolically is a copy of God's complete and eternal plan of redemption. That scroll is a copy of God's complete and eternal plan of redemption. And now here in our text, John sees that the scroll is in the hand of him who is seated on the throne, and he sees it sealed shut with seven seals. The contents of it remain hidden from man and angels. No one knows the details of that plan of redemption except him who has planned it and has written it, namely God the Creator. He has written it. He has sealed it. He holds it firmly in his hand. God is its author. God is its owner. He's prepared to relinquish it, relinquish it only to someone found worthy to open the seals. That now is that great drama being played out there in heaven and being revealed to John. The content of God's plan of redemption shall forever remain hidden unless, 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 one can be found worthy to open it, to read it, to reveal it, and to implement it. We know that because our text indicates that a loud voice of an angel resounds and reverberates in heaven. The call goes out, who is worthy? Who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? And then we read, and John wept. Why was that now? Well, John wept because no one was found worthy to open the seals of the book. The question of the angel goes unanswered. There is silence in heaven and all creatures hold their collective breath. The question of the angel reverberates through the hallowed halls of heaven, but no one answers. Silence was heard in heaven and John wept. In fact, we read that he wept much. And that ought not to surprise us when we understand precisely what was at stake here. The call of the angel goes out to all. In fact, we read that it resounds in heaven. It echoes on the earth and is even heard under the earth. Who is worthy? Who is able to open the scroll? The call goes out to the angels in heaven. Are you worthy? You, you angels who surround the throne of God, can you save the world? And it was silent in heaven. No angels accepted the invitation. And the challenge then goes out to all men and women on the earth. Man, here now is your opportunity. Already at the very dawn of history, man, you wanted to be as God. In fact, you wanted to be God. And now here is your chance. If you are worthy, if you are able, take the book. Usher in the kingdom of God. Come then all you wise men of the earth. Can you now, you <coughs> rulers and mighty men, you giants of science, wisdom and intellect, all of you who speak so highly of the advance of man and nature, here is your challenge. Can you, O oh man, can you with your wisdom and your technology, can you save the world? Then take the book, open its seals if you are worthy. And it was silent on the earth. 
No man answered the call. The message even goes out to the places under the earth. Imagine that with me for a moment. Imagine that with me. The loud voice of the angel resounds in the ears of Satan in the very depths of hell. Here is your chance, Satan. It's all yours if you are worthy. Already in the beginning, you wanted to rule in God's stead, and now here's your opportunity to obtain the world. Can you, Satan, can you take that scroll and open the, its seals? Who is worthy? Imagine that. The invitation is even heard in hell by him who once had planned to be God, and now we, we hear a deafening silence. Even hell stands in mute silence. No one is worthy to open the book. And it was silent under the earth. No one in heaven, no one on earth, and no one in hell accepts the challenge. No one is found worthy. No one is found worthy to open the seals and thereby usher in the kingdom of God. And John wept. And John wept much. And we need to understand carefully his tears. You see, John's tears were not for himself. No, John's tears are because God's glory was at stake here in that silence in heaven. Follow carefully with me for a moment. John, John was sorely disappointed. He was filled with bitter sorrow and he wept much. Why? Well, because, because the, opening, the opening of the book does not merely involve a revelation or simply revealing of the things that must yet come to pass. It's not a question of simply God revealing what must still come to pass in the world. No, symbolically, the opening, the opening of the scroll involves the actual ushering in of the kingdom. John was not weeping because the scroll was not opened or revealed. It was not important to John that he would see the contents of the scroll. No, that was not the reason for his tears. Oh no, much more was at stake here. The opening of the book was symbolic of the bringing in of the kingdom itself. And if it remained closed, if it remained sealed, if no one could be found worthy to open it, then the kingdom of God could not, would not come. The deafening silence indicated to John that no one was worthy. And if that were true, then there was no way that the kingdom of God could ever come. And that is a terrible disaster. And therefore we read that John wept, wept much. Who is worthy? And all is silent. All we hear is John sobbing, and John wept. He is convinced that the book must remain closed, and consequently, God's plan for the world cannot be fulfilled. And so we read, he wept much. But, but John is immediately comforted. We read, and one of the elders said to him, Do not weep. Behold, the Lion of Judah, the Root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. Oh, capture this beautiful imagery with me. The elder, being representative of the church triumphant, he speaks words of comfort to John, who as yet is still a member of the church militant on earth. And he assures him of victory for the church. 
the church triumphant in heaven comforts the militant church still struggling here on this earth. Imagine that with me. It boggles the mind. There's John. <coughs> There's John weeping bitter tears because he cannot see how the victory can ever be won. No one appears worthy to open the book of God's plan and no one is found to usher in the kingdom. And then there stands the elder of the church triumphant. He is already familiar with the lamb. He's already enjoying the victory of the kingdom earned for him by the lamb and now it is his great privilege to reach out and to comfort John by announcing that there is one there is one worthy to break the seals and he is introduced to us as the lion of Judah's tribe the root of David and and and, and bear with me now for a moment for it is helpful for us to take note and just and to take just a minute and and, and define the names by which he is identified first of all a lion and by nature, the lion is even yet today known as the king of the beast. The lion appears as such time and time again throughout scripture. The lion is the symbol of royal majesty, the symbol of strength and power. And we see already here the symbolism of Jesus Christ, the lion, majestic and powerful, the king of the beast, Jesus Christ, majestic and powerful, the king of kings. But he's further identified as the lion of the tribe of Judah. And that meaning and the significance of that expression we find in Genesis 49. There within the context we read of Jacob blessing his sons. They will be the future heads and representatives of the 12 tribes of Israel. And there we read that while blessing his son Judah, Jacob speaks prophetically. Judah, he says, is a lion's whelp. The scepter shall not depart from Judah until Shiloh comes, and to him shall be the obedience of the people. And from that day on, the symbol for the tribe of Judah remained a lion. Judah would have dominion over the people of God, and from Judah would come the king that would lead God's people in victory over the enemy. To Judah was given the blessed privilege to, to bring forth the king of kings who would, who would have dominion and, and whose reign would be forever and ever. From Judah's loins would come the lion of Judah. From Judah's loins would come the Christ. But then he is presented also as the root of David and that name too has its source in scripture. We find it in Revelation 22 where the Lord announces himself and says, I am the root and the offspring of David. We find it also again in the Old Testament in Isaiah 11 where we read, And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of its roots. Oh, you know the imagery here. Out of Jesse, David's father, the, the, the generation of David grew into a mighty tree, but it did not remain mighty. Israel wandered far from the Lord and finally that tree was cut down to the ground. In fact, when Israel went into captivity, it would seem that the glory of the house of David had been completely eradicated. But, 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 but out of the roots of that stump, a shoot springs up. And out of that fallen generation of David will yet be born the son of Mary in Bethlehem. That's the imagery as Isaiah uses it in his book. And now it is of him that the heavenly elders speak when he says that one has been found worthy to open the scroll and to break the seals. Ah, oh, my dear people of God, all is silent in heaven, in heaven and on earth. No one dares to step forward to receive the book out of God's hand. Everyone, all of them know themselves unqualified to usher in the kingdom and all is silent and John weeps until 
Weep not, for there is one qualified. It is none other than your Savior, Jesus Christ. His name is the Lion of Judah, the Root of David. Who is able, who is worthy? The Lamb of God, the Lion of Judah, the offspring of the Root of David. He is worthy. Capture this with me now. According to that eternal decree of God, a great battle had to be won, had to be waged and won before the kingdom of God could come. A great opponent was to be defeated, and that opponent is described by the Apostle Paul as that raging lion seeking whomever he may destroy. And that raging lion had to be destroyed by the Lion of Judah. People of God, gird up the loins of your mind with me and understand all of this imagery with me now. Satan, Satan, the prince of darkness, the devil, the raging lion, seeks to devour the great plan of God's decree. And at first glance, it would seem that Satan has won the victory. Man sinned, man cut himself off from God. All of mankind fell under the dominion of Satan. In Adam's fall, we sinned all. In Adam's fall, we all fell. And ever since, it seems ever since, as we look around us and we view world history, it would appear that Satan has won the victory and so our future can intimidate and even frighten us. You know what I mean. When we look around us, we see cities under siege by thugs and terrorists. We look around us at the morals of our own country and we see moral degeneration to the extreme. We look around us at our churches and we see tension and polarization. When we look around us at our families, we see brokenness and alienation. When we look within our hearts, we see sin and brokenness. We see broken homes broken marriages. We see alienation between parents and children. We see brokenness and alienation among family members. We see alienation between husbands and wives. We see brokenness in the churches. And worst of all, we see alienation between God and man. And our hearts cry out in despair because it appears that Satan has won the ultimate victory. But, 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 now here, in the words of our text, we hear the word of God saying, saying to John and saying to each of us today, do not weep, be anxious about nothing, rather lift up your eyes, see through the eyes of your faith the Lion of Judah, he has won the victory by way of the cross. That's what the verse following our text wants us to know. We read and we hear John say, And I looked and behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb, stood a lamb, though it had, as though it had been slain. My dear precious people of God, to the human eye and to the human mind, it would appear to be an irreconcilable contradiction. It doesn't seem right. The lion and the lamb, they don't fit together. And yet it is no paradox. It is a glorified, united one. The lamb and the lion in one Savior. Follow with me as we carefully interpret here. 
the imagery may not escape us. The lion and the lamb both were necessary to rescue man from the morass into which he had plunged himself. The lion was necessary for us, mighty in power and fierce in strength. And that great strength of the king of beasts was necessary in order for him to overcome the great obstacle preventing the coming of the kingdom of God for you and for me. That lion king was necessary in order that he would overcome the awesome power of Satan and the strength of the lion was needed in order that he would would come with the authority to reign after winning the victory. But at the same time, a lamb, a lamb led to slaughter. A lamb. Oh, tremble with me, people of God. A lamb who allowed himself to suffer and bleed to death on the accursed tree, bearing the wrath of God intended for you and me. That too was necessary and an indispensable element in God's plan of salvation. But now, capture with me the great comfort for John and for us, for you and for me in this vision. The lamb has been slaughtered, but we read John sees that it stands. People of God, that's it, that's it, that's it. The lamb of God slaughtered, crucified, dead and buried and raised from the dead and now stands before the throne of God with a scepter of authority in his hand. He lives, Jesus Christ, died for our transgression, raised for our justification. Death no longer was the stronger. Christ the Lord is risen from the dead. Hallelujah. The lion and the lamb of Judah, your savior and mine. He has overcome death and sin and hell. And now all authority in heaven and earth given by the father to him to usher in the kingdom. Or if you will, all power and authority was given unto him by his father in order to gather, defend and to preserve the church in accordance with the eternal decree of God the creator and therefore he is qualified he is worthy to take the book and to open the seven seals that now is the hope of the church and the eager expectation of every child of God Jesus Christ and him crucified for our transgression but then risen from the dead for our justification and he lives Golgotha The place of the slaughter of the lamb is the battlefield where the lion of Judah fought and won the ultimate victory against the raging lion of darkness. Behold the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Capture now with me for just a moment the significance of this whole drama being played out there in heaven. When John dries his tears... And looks, he sees the Lamb of God approaching the Father's throne to take the scroll. Jesus receives from his Father the book of God's plan of redemption for the world. It is God's plan for the outworking of the entire plan of the entire history of the entire world from its very beginning to its very end. And Christ now receives authority from his Father to implement that plan and to usher in the kingdom. The meaning then of the triumph of Christ may not escape the church militant, you and I. That triumph must be captured and understood by us. It affords us tremendous comfort. God's hand of judgment 
presses hard and sore on the lives of humanity in our world. God's wrath remains on all those who have not sought their life in this Lion of Judah. And God's hand of temporal and eternal judgment rests heavily on the world and the church and the body of the redeemed, meaning that you and I, who have placed our hope in Christ, we too will not escape the consequence of sin. We know, for instance, this COVID pandemic is a consequence of sin. God has a purpose with this pandemic, but the pain it inflicts is also felt by the children of God. We too, along with the world, will suffer many pains as we wind our way through the complexities of this fallen world. And at times we too lose our perspective and we lose hope. Uh, oftentimes it seems so dark all around us and the future looks so uncertain and maybe even hopeless, but people of God, if that's your perspective of, the, of your future, then you've lost sight of the Lamb of God and then it is necessary for you to take yourself in hand and to once again lift your eyes with John into God's heavens and see there the Lamb of God, the light of the world as he stands it is then necessary to see once again the Lion of Judah as the slaughtered Lamb of God. See him then through the eyes of your faith. See him then as he holds in his hands the book with seven seals. And see him as he is busy breaking those seals one at a time. All that happens here on this earth. Prosperity and adversity. Sickness and health. Earthquakes and tsunamis. Hurricanes, tornadoes, wars, terrorists. And even the godless decrees of our government and even the COVID pandemic, all of it under the control of the Lion of Judah, the Lamb of God, as he now works out the plan of God as that is recorded in the book. All of world history develops precisely as it was planned by God, even from before the foundations of the world. All of history, all things in this world as a result of his victory on Golgotha are completely under his control. Therefore, we may have no fear of the future. Christ will achieve his objective. And his objective is as a mighty lion to gather, to defend, and to preserve the church purchased with his precious blood, the blood of the Lamb. No one, nothing will be able to frustrate him or to turn him from rescuing his bride out of the clutches of Satan. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him, for he has already been defeated by the Lion of Judah. Congregation, for those who know themselves to be washed in the blood of that lamb, the text affords immeasurable comfort. Oh, indeed, your road may at times be steep and rocky or even painful or dangerous. And <coughs> as you live this life while still a member of the church militant here below, the consequence of sin may cause you to weep bitter tears. But read again then for your comfort the words of our text of this morning. And then allow God to wipe away your tears and hear him say to you, Do not weep. For one has been found worthy to open the book. Weep not. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Christ rules the world. 
He controls all history in the name of his father. As our children used to sing, he's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole wide world in his hands. Oh, indeed, Christ is busy gathering, defending, and preserving his bride. He breaks seal after seal after seal, and he brings to pass all the things that must yet come to pass prior to bringing in the kingdom of God. And when that kingdom, when that kingdom shall have been completed, and the power and the resistance of the powers of darkness shall be finally and ultimately broken, then that final trumpet blast will be heard, signaling the end of all history. But until then, until then, all authority has been given unto him to govern the world by his word and spirit. Never, never, never forget that our God reigns. But he does so through his son. Jesus reigns. Jesus reigns. He is now the great shepherd of his sheep. And no one, not even Satan himself, can snatch any one of his lambs out of his hand. Therefore, we shall not fear. Though the earth be moved, though the mountains be moved and trembled into the sea, yet we will not be afraid. Because, 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 every revolution of this earth and even all the brokenness and ruin in this life can and must serve to work towards the coming of the kingdom of God. Oh, let not your hearts be troubled. Instead, learn to pray. Maranatha, come Lord Jesus, come quickly.